the twelve apostles. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose them from twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Aphias, and Simon, who is called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. The word of the Lord. All right, so we are starting, continuing a new sermon series that we started last week in this post-Easter season. And so we're looking at, really what I want to do is we go, okay, Easter is this wonderful, you know, Sunday of pageantry and of celebration, and, and afterwards it's sort of like, okay, now what? Or, you know, maybe less kindly, so what? What does it matter? Okay, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. What difference does it make? And one of the most important answers, the most important answer is, of course, that because Christ is risen, sin, death, evil, all of those things have been dealt a mortal wound, and they no longer have power over us. And so the victory of Christ over them, his vindication is our vindication. His victory is our victory. So that's the most important thing. But the second thing that, that we neglect and we forget and we tend to walk away from is that because Christ is risen, when we have an encounter with him in faith, what it means is that we are shaped and called and sent as a missionary people within our own community, within our own culture. That means that we live and share the good news that he is not dead, but he is risen indeed. And so part of being a healthy missional congregation, uh, healthy meaning pursuing Christ, missional meaning pursuing Christ's priorities in the world, one of the key markers of that is this thing called intentional evangelism. But so often when we think about mission and evangelism, we think, okay, mission is what a certain special class of Christians called missionaries do overseas in other cultures. And we see, no, that, that, that mission, which at its word, root word just means being sent, being sent by Christ out into the world is something shared by all of us. And we think of evangelism, okay, evangelism is something that maybe someone does on a television with a southern accent and large hair, or maybe evangelism is something that someone does with a sandwich board when they're yelling at someone, or someone does at a restaurant when they leave like the million dollar bill, but it's just got like the tract on the other side of it instead of a tip, Okay. And there's lots of bad ways we can do mission, lots of bad ways we can do evangelism. But we saw last week that there is a way, and evangelism is simply just sharing the good news about Jesus, about his resurrection and his rule and his reign. And we saw last week, we looked at the story from John, this beautiful story of Jesus when he encounters the woman at the well. I mean, what, a, what an amazing story, the Samaritan woman at the well. And we see, if we want to do mission, let's do it like Jesus the three R's of mission, that Jesus reaches people who are far away from God, right where they are, that he does so in order to restore them to right relationship on a horizontal level, but on a vertical, on a, on a, on a vertical level, but a horizontal level as well. And then, and then he does that so when it happens, more disciples are reproduced, that God's mission doesn't just stop with that one person, but continues to expand. And then even, and, and we'll add a fourth R to the equation, so we got reach, we got restore, we got reproduce, but then Christ releases people to develop their God-given gifts and talents to serve him with their own mission. God-given talents for God-given purposes. And so Jesus' mission 
continues God's mission to bless that we see in the very earliest passages of Scripture. So if you, you know, open the earliest chapters of Genesis, you look at the first 11 chapters, they're this kind of separate genre in the whole of Scripture. It's called, scholars call it the primeval history. It's kind of the story of God and, and, and all of creation and humanity before there was anything like we might recognize as history. And so it's this story of creation and then fall and then the flood and, and Babel. And so it, in the first 11 chapters, we get this whole sweeping story. God creates these creatures in his image and likeness and endows us with free will in order that we can be in relationship with him. And we see this just gift squandered very quickly. And the whole world being poisoned because of it. And so at the end of those 11 chapters, and, and, and chapter 11 is, is the Babel story, and we go, basically, where, this, where is this going? Bad things keep happening. What is God going to do about this? And the solution to the problem of, of human sin and disobedience and, and pride and walking away is the story of Abraham. God, in order to advance his purposes in the world, his purposes to, to have creation be fruitful and filled with blessing and not death, chooses Abraham from amongst all the families of the earth to bless. And so God chooses to bless Abraham and Sarah. And, and when you call someone blessed in Scripture, it means that that person is going to be fruitful. Of course, in a, in a literal sense, in terms of having lots of offspring, but also in this spiritual sense, that wherever they are, life is just going to be springing forth from the ground. And so wherever a blessed person goes, life goes. And so we hear that, we go, okay, God, there's a problem. God needs to solve it, so he chooses Abraham but, you know, to be his, 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 his special family, his special people. And so we go, well, why does God choose just one person? Why is God playing favorites with Abraham and his family? And so when we think about blessing and how we can be a, a blessing, the really crucial, absolutely essential point we can't miss is that God blesses Abraham and Sarah in order that they will be a blessing to everyone. God blesses Abraham and Sarah so that they will be a blessing to everyone. The whole world will be blessed through this family. They're God's partners in spreading God's life-generating agenda all over the world. And we, look at, we can look at what it says in Scripture. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So, so far, this is all good for just Abraham and his peoples. But then it continues. He says, I will bless those, um, and I will make your, you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God's strategy from the beginning has been to choose a people to bless in order that they might be a blessing to the whole world. And so Jesus' mission to, to reach, to restore, to reproduce and release is itself a continuation of God's mission to bless the world. And so when we think about, okay, how do we do evangelism well? How do we do mission well? The best way we can share the gospel and make disciples is to bless other people in the name of Jesus. There's an anecdote I'd like to share that I came across in my reading for this sermon this week. There was a few years ago, a ministry student wrote a thesis 
And they were studying uh, two different teams, two different missions teams that went to Thailand. And these were two different teams with two different strategies for how they were going to engage with the people in that culture. Two teams of missionaries, two strategies. One team uh, they labeled the converters. And the other team were the blessers. And so the thesis, the study looked at what impact each group had when they went there. And so the converter strategy was go over there and they would engage in direct evangelism with as many people as possible, sort of sharing the message and uh, trying to get people to make faith commitments right there. Um, And so they were the converters. We're going to go over there, we're going to preach the message, we're going to invite people to make a decision, and, and that's our goal. And then the blessers went over there, and their strategy was to bless as many people as possible in as many ways as possible. And so then the researcher looked back and said, what was the impact that the converters and the blessers had in this community where they went? And so not surprisingly, with the blessers, they had a greater social impact than the converters. Their work, their work resulted in, in what, uh, what the researcher called a greater deal of, of social betterment and social good. But the more surprising thing, actually, was that the blessers also had uh, 50 times more people come to faith in Christ than the converters. And so when it comes to evangelism, then, and we think about intentional evangelism as what we need to be about as a healthy missional congregation, our agenda is not to convert, because we go conversions is God's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to bless people in the name of Jesus in ways that we can become conduits for the converting work of God's Spirit. So if we want to do mission and evangelism like Jesus, we have to focus first on blessing people. How can we be a blessing? And so the question then is, how can we do that? What does that look like in my life on an everyday practical level. And the good news is is there is a handy acronym that will help you remember that. And so uh, if you were one of the first 50 people here, you actually got a bulletin insert with it. Yep, 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 yep. And if you were after 50, I'm sorry. I ordered 100 and they only sent me 50. So, you know, what can I do? But uh, there's an insert in your bulletin. But it's, 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 um, it's the BLESS insert. And so it's an acronym. And so it's BLESS, you know, B-L-E-S-S. And each one is a different part of, um, of, of how we can bless other people by doing mission like Jesus. And so a blessing strategy, B, it begins with prayer. And so that's where we're going to begin this morning. And, and so we're going to look at it. We're going to say, okay, what is prayer? How does prayer work? And then lastly, why does it come first? So we say blessing begins with prayer, and we're going to say, okay, what, what is prayer exactly? Because it's something we do intuitively. I think it's ingrained within us, but we don't always stop and think about what it is we're doing when we pray. And so I think it's really helpful to stop, slow down, and actually look at a couple of the main words that get used in the Bible uh, to describe prayer. And so the first is this Hebrew word, tefillah. To fill a Bob uh, Brody, who's back at the soundboard, said it sounded like a fish, like tilapia. So we're having a tefillah bake, you know, after church. No, no, no. Tefillah is prayer. It's Hebrew for prayer. And what's really interesting about this word, which you wouldn't think, was that at its root, it has a couple meanings. It comes from this root, and one of the uh, root meanings that it comes from is this word 
to judge. So I thought prayer was like the opposite of judgment. What do you mean to judge? But in terms of judging, it's also examining. So you think of a judge sitting there examining someone. And, And so in this instance, we're not examining someone else. When we sit in judgment in prayer, what we're doing is we're examining our own hearts and our own lives. We're looking at our hearts. We're saying, what are our motivations? What are our anxieties? What are our fears? What are our loves? What are our hatreds? What are our hopes? And so prayer, first and foremost, is about exposing the truth of what is in our hearts to the light of God. And so we can't bless people if we aren't willing to be honest with what's going on right here. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that we tend to fall into when we pray is we think, okay, when when a time of prayer comes, it's a time to sort of be good in front of God. So we sit down in prayer and we just want to think, direct some good thoughts out towards God. And we want to be on our absolute best behavior. And so we pray, you know, we do things like, oh Lord, you know, please, if it's not too much trouble, there's a job I really want or, or, or something. So if that's what you want, then please, you know, maybe give it to me. And so we pray like that and we're just trying to be good. But real prayer, as we see in scripture, is, is saying things instead like, God, I... I I hate where I work. It's horrible. I don't like the people. I don't like my boss. I, I, I don't make enough money. I can barely pay the rent. And, and so please, get me out of here. Show me a new opportunity. And that's the kind of prayer that just starts with being honest about what's going on. Saying, God, this is what I'm afraid of. This is what I want to see happen. This is where I'm confused. This is who I'm angry with, and it might be you. So that's the first meaning of prayer, is just being honest, judging ourselves, examining ourselves. And the second meaning of this word, to fill out, it's to intercede or interpose, which means having the audacity to place oneself between someone and someone else. And so in prayer, we are being so bold as to place ourselves between someone and God, having the courage and boldness to bring other people to God, to draw them to God's attention. And in the case of blessing, what we're saying is, God, this person needs to be blessed. And it's also saying, how can I bless them or how can I convey your blessing to them? So it's about examining ourselves and it's about placing ourselves between this person and God. So that's the Hebrew word. And then there's this Greek word, prosukomai. And it's a compound word. And the first word pros means toward and ukomai means wish. So it's wishing towards God. When we pray, we are directing our wishes, our hopes, our wills, our desires towards God. So just sharing with God the things that we would like to see happen. But more than that, when we're sharing our wishes with God, there's also this notion within the word of exchange. That we don't want to just project our wishes you know, up onto God, but our deepest, higher, our deepest hope is that our desires will be exchanged with God's desires. That we will start to wish for what God wishes for. And so when we pray to bless, we say, God, we want to desire for this world what you desire. We want for this person what you want for them. And we want our will to be your will. So that's what prayer is then. It's being honest with God. It's standing between God and others. And it is directing our wishes to God so that our wishes will become his. So that's what prayer is. But let's look at how prayer does. How does prayer work? C.S. Lewis, who's 
one of my favorite authors, he wrote this little essay on prayer. And, and he was basically responding to people who he saw, you know, his, his high-minded, you know, colleagues and friends and, and the English, you know, elite, learned elite of the middle of the 20th century. And they looked at prayer and they said, well, that's sort of a nice thing to do, but, you know, doesn't it not make sense? Because surely if God is all-knowing and all-wise and all-good, he wouldn't need our puny little requests to be reminded to do good things in the world, right? If God's good, he doesn't need us to tell him, hey, God, do some good stuff for this person. And Lewis's response is like, sure. But God has chosen to create us as praying creatures, and we see in Scripture that God does, in fact, respond to the prayers of his people. Abraham praying for Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, uh, Moses praying for the Israelites. And so prayer is just one of the ways that we make things happen in the world. Because Lewis says, isn't it just as true that God could have made everything in the world? Tables, chairs, buildings, you know. God could have made everything without our help. But he chose not to. And so just as we're not surprised that God chooses to accomplish certain things in the world by the work of our hands, we also oughtn't to be surprised that God allows us to do certain things in this world through prayer. And Lito, uh, Lewis was a medievalist. He loved medieval literature. And so he hearkened back to the, the motto of the medieval monasteries, which was ora et labora. That was the monastic life. Ora meaning prayer, labora meaning work. So the life of a religious person was prayer and work. The two ways of human beings affecting this world. And work we understand. We do something, it produces a tangible result. We take a hammer, we hit a nail, it goes into a piece of wood. So work is a cause that brings about an effect. So we get how work works, but what about prayer? How does prayer work, especially when so many times it seems like it doesn't? And Lewis says this really wonderful thing. He says, prayer doesn't work in the same way of this sort of cause-effect nexus that we're used to in this world because it is too weak, but because it is too powerful to be left to the normal course of events. Prayer involves those things that need God's power and God's blessing and God's permission to bring about. And so prayer is our way of doing things in the world that we can only do with God's help. We're saying, God, we believe that we can do this through you, but we know that we cannot do it without you. We cannot bless without your blessing. And so prayer is how we become partners with God in God's mission to bless the world. So that's what prayer is, that's how it works, but why do we start with prayer? Other than it's an easy thing to put with, you know, B at the beginning of this acronym. And we start with prayer because that's what we see, especially in Luke's gospel, at the crucial moments of Jesus' life in ministry. Jesus prays. So at his baptism, Jesus prays and the Holy Spirit descends on him. At the Mount of Transfiguration, when, when his full glory is revealed to the three disciples who join him, he's praying. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when he is facing the prospect of drinking the cup of God's wrath, Jesus is praying. And on the cross, Jesus prays as he gives his life for the sins of the world. But our passage, when it comes to prayer, actually stands apart because it's the only time it says that Jesus spent the entire night in prayer. He pulled an all-nighter. And we go, well, what's so important that he needed to pull an all-nighter praying? 
And he does it right before choosing the 12 apostles, naming the 12 apostles. And it's not just the, the disciples, it's the apostles. And the apostle means the one who is sent. And so Jesus prays all night before choosing the 12 to carry out God's mission to bless and share the good news of God's radical blessing in Jesus Christ. And why does Jesus choose 12? That's not just some random number. If there were some guys playing basketball in the gym and I went over and went one, two, three, four, five, you know I was choosing a, uh, a basketball team. That makes sense. Although we play four on four here because uh, it's a little small. Uh, but, you know, house rules. Uh, if I went to a soccer field and I went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven you would know I was choosing a soccer team. And so here in choosing 12, what Jesus is doing is he is picking an Israel team. Because God chose Abraham and his family to be a blessing, and the 12 tribes, those are Abraham's great-grandchildren, the descendants of them. And so these families were supposed to be the families that conveyed God's blessing to the world. But instead, as the rest of the Old Testament will narrate, these people who are supposed to be a part of the solution themselves become a part of the problem. Again, what is God to do? Here comes Jesus, picking a new Israel team because it's through Christ's sons and daughters that God continues God's mission to bless the world and share the good news with the whole world. And so when Jesus was picking his blessing team, he began with prayer. He pulled an all-nighter. And so when we want to be on his blessing team, when we want to partner with God to bless others in the name of Jesus so that they will come to know God, we start with prayer too because it's too important, too important to be left to our own efforts. What we're about to, to embark on is too powerful not to include God from the very beginning. A blessing strategy begins with prayer because it won't work without it. So that's what prayer is, uh, that's how prayer works, and, and, and that's why we begin with prayer. So the question then is, what are some ways we can live this out and begin with prayer starting today? And my first suggestion is just begin each day with a simple prayer. God, who can I bless today? Make that the first words in your head or the first words out of your mouth and, and see what a difference that can make in how you live in the world. Or if you're really bold, you can say, you know, God, make me a blessing. Make me a blessing. And at the end of the day, ask, how was I a blessing? Or how, how was I blessed by others? So that's the first challenge. Begin and end a day with a prayer for blessing, seeking how God has been using us. Another challenge is during your prayer time, pray in terms of concentric circles. So when we're praying, you know, we start in our own minds and heads, and we can kind of expand out into, the, into the what's going on in these different spheres of influence around us. And, and for that, there's this really helpful acronym we can use as we're praying, FRANK. And so it's like France minus the E. And so uh, uh, if you're playing, think of FRANK, that you start when you're praying with your friends and then your relatives and your acquaintances and your neighbors and your coworkers or your colleagues. And it's in the, this one's in the bulletin insert. And, and when you're thinking through those various spheres of influence or circles in your life, you can just say, God, how can I bless this person in this sphere? Think of their name. Or how can I share your blessings with this person so that they come to know you? And a last very helpful and very practical step that I have is if you have a smartphone, 
there's this great app called Echo that I use. And you can uh, use it to remind yourself. You can list your prayers, and you can use it to remind you to pray at specific times of the day or once a week or, you know, every single day to pray. And so this way, you know, we don't just forget or tell someone like, oh, I'll be, I'll be praying for you as like this empty platitude or promise we don't intend on fulfilling. Echo can be a really useful tool, a way to leverage technology so that we can be praying for the people in our lives and we can pray specifically for folks in our life who need to experience God's blessing, who need to meet Jesus. And if you got the bulletin insert, there's even like these 10 listed out prayers and you can fill in the blank. You know, pray that blank will become thirsty for God. Pray that the Father will draw blank to Jesus. And they, they even have like a copy for yourself and then a copy you're supposed to give to the church. I will not ask you to give the copy to the church. We will not be uh, following up on that. But as we're praying all of these things, I think one of the greatest things we can do is actually fill in that blank with our own name as well. Because we need this just as much as anyone else in our lives. We need to continue to be converted. We need to continue to hear this good news so we can live it and share it as well. And so we want to be blessed so we can bless. We want the world to experience God's blessing because that is God's mission. And we know that there is no greater blessing than knowing Jesus, God's greatest blessing of all, and the source and goal of all of our blessing. And when we begin with prayer, we begin with Christ because our great belief is that Christ is right now at the right hand of the Father praying for us interceding for us. And so when we begin with prayer, we are standing right next to him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.